0: Machphila, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave, which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were, in all, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went to the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Macphilah before memory, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, so the field and the cave that were in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. Amen. Well, let's uh, pray once more together. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the great and generous gifts that you have given to us to a rebellious and unthankful race. Nevertheless, you have given us life and breath and all things. You are not a God that is served with human hands as though you needed anything, for you give to all these things, and you do not dwell in temples made by men's hands. Nevertheless, O oh Lord, you have condescended to be in us and with us and among us, and especially in our Lord Jesus Christ. Your great glory has been made manifest to us as we have possessed Emmanuel, God with us as the one who is forever our brother and uh, one of the same flesh and blood as us. We thank you for that great gift to mankind that uh, your son might be uh, our eternal life and hope and home. We pray that we would never neglect so great a salvation, but that we would be a a people in all times zealous for you. We pray that you would forgive, forgive us for our blindness of mind, our hardness of heart, our impenitence, insecurity, lukewarmness. We desire that we should always be zealous for your glory and the good of others as we ought. We pray that you would shed abroad your love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that you have given to us, that by that same spirit of adoption that we have received, that we should be a uh, people zealous for your house, even as our Lord himself has taught us. Our Father in heaven, you know our needs and you know our sorrows. We pray that you would comfort all those who mourn in Zion. Speak peace to the wounded and troubled spirit, and bind up the broken hearted. We think especially of the Mattiases in this week struggling with uh, the uh, aftermath of such a uh, devastating fire in their shop and outbuilding. We thank you that even in in, in such a tragic loss, you have uh, protected and preserved all that uh, the um, fire was uh, confined to the uh, outbuilding and uh, did not spread to the house and that in so many other ways, Father, that you have been kind. We are thankful for the opportunity that we have had as your church already to love and bless and encourage them and pray that we would continue to do so acceptably as an offering to you of uh, those gifts of love and uh, pray that you would continue to bless and supply all the needs of the Matthias house in the weeks to come. We pray for Leslie's daddy, Mac, and for the Uh, time that uh, he has experienced now of weakness, um, of some decline. We are thankful that he's out of the hospital and that he's uh, receiving good care, and uh, yet we pray, our Father, for him in body and soul, that uh, you would be a God to him that is uh, uh, present and uh, faithful, uh, hearing his cries even now, we pray. And we pray for Travis, whose uh, unknown liver condition has caused so much uh, concern among the doctors and uh, that they are still at this point perplexed about how best to treat him, but we pray that what they have done so far would be blessed by your great hand for healing, that you would uh, strengthen and raise up this um, brother of uh, Corey and uh, be the God who heals. We pray that Uh, you would bless your servant Rich tonight in a special manner that you would furnish him as he gives the bread of life to those in your house. Uh, You would uh, bless him with wisdom and faithfulness uh, with zeal and with uh, divine utterance. That dividing the word of God right that uh, he would be uh, faithful in all these things as a steward in your house, to dispense to us that life-giving word. We pray that your continued blessing would be upon him and the Lynchburg congregation as uh, they likewise are anticipating seeing more of him and uh, uh, benefiting from his ministry. We pray that you would bless him and them together for the glory of your name. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well... uh, Rich is going to be preaching for us in a moment, as I just mentioned in, in uh, Psalm 69a in the blue book, 69a, you will find something that is fulfilled in the life and ministry of our Lord at this point. This uh, Psalm 69 is actually a, a psalm of the Lord's passion of uh, his suffering and crucifixion this uh, reference given later, they gave me vinegar from my thirst is more familiar to some. They've given me gall for my food. Um, other, other references here. There, this, the singer is Christ in his afflictions, as David himself, who wrote it, shared in the sufferings of Christ. And uh, yet we read about uh, the zeal for God's house that consumed him. And so this is from Psalm 69, this tune uh, not as well known. We have sung it before, but it's a newer tune. So let's stand together as we sing Psalm 69a. be seated. Uh, delight uh, now to have Rich come and uh, preach the word to us, sir. Thank you so much for coming and being with us.
1: Well, church, I think it's been a whole few weeks since I've seen you last, so it's so good to be back here again. Uh, thanks for having me back again on such a short notice even. Um, tonight, as uh, Pastor David was alluding to, we're going to be. Uh, basically reading a fulfillment of Psalm 69 here in this place. And it comes to us tonight, our our passage, from John chapter 2. So I'd like to invite you to go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to John 2, specifically verses 13 through 25. And as you're turning there, I'm sure you'll notice that this is a very familiar passage. It's the passage in which we see Christ in his righteous anger, yet really marked by zeal, as Pastor David was just saying be utterly consumed for the household of God, and be so utterly consumed with this zeal for the house as it is impure and improper before him, that he couldn't help but in his own righteousness and holiness cleanse it himself. And so if you will go ahead and turn with me to again John 2 verse 13, and we will go ahead and dive into this, the very word of God this evening. The word of God here in John 2 says the following to us. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, even. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me so the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself or literally believe in them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Prince, this is the word of God. It is forever faithful and true and given to us from our very heart of love, the love of God the Father for us. So let's go ahead and pray as we now approach the preaching of God's word in this time. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that truly yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. And so Lord, as your word is preached here in this holy sanctuary, a place that has been designated for the purpose of declaring your glory from Blacksburg and Christiansburg until the very ends of the earth. We ask, O God, that in this time, as your word pours forth through my lips, that it would be truly from you, though, that merely as your servant, you would use me as a mouthpiece to declare the mysteries of the gospel of grace in this place. And so, Lord, would you ready our hearts prepare us even now by your Holy Spirit who is stirring within us as your word has been read over us to now apply the word for our own good and for your glory. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it came upon a rainy Wednesday on the avenue. <laughs> Some of you might recognize that lyric, an old Duran Duran song, but this past week on Wednesday, a good friend of mine had asked me to watch his two-year-old golden retriever, a little puppy, right? Now, my own two-year-old dog named Baxter, who's at Chocolate Lab, is literally best friends with his dog, this two-year-old golden retriever. And so for four days, while my friend was out of town taking a much-needed vacation, our two dogs ended up playing together out in the yard. During that four-year time, they uh, basically were chasing balls, running around the yard, and literally tackling into each other back and forth, back and forth, and having a blast until Wednesday came, (laughs) the day that it rained like nothing else, and I think you guys had the same thing here this past week as well, here in Blacksburg and Christiansburg, Wednesday's downpour, and the rain back home in Lynchburg, which we often call Drenchburg up there, uh, was unceasing, it just went on all day long without letting up, and so at some point I eventually just had to let these two dogs out and get a little energy out, so I let them out just for a few short minutes, But as you can imagine, they came back in only five minutes later, completely soaked, utterly soaked, from head to tail. And soon they were off. Not outside, but inside the house now, (laughs) running circles around the living room. Again, my friend's living room, not my own. Tracking in mud and jumping up on top of the pure, white, clean couches. Of course, I had to tell them what happened later on. (laughs) But needless to say, I separated those two faster than you can blink but the mud had already made its way into that house. An hour later, they were both bathed, and they were cleaned up and washed thoroughly, but the damage had already been done. And I began to feverishly clean up my friend's house to the best of my own ability, even failing to do so, admittedly. But this evening here, we, as we have just read, are about to behold and consider all the more a much greater act of real cleansing than even this act of cleaning up dirty dogs. See, here in John 2, verse 13, we see the very zeal of our Savior Jesus Christ for God's own house utterly consume him or eat him up from the inside out to the point that he physically removed the figurative dogs that had muddied up the worship of God's own people. But much more than just our Savior on a cleaning spree, this passage proves to us the great length to which our Savior has gone and will continue to go to apply his cleansing power as he has purified his bride, you, the church, to present you clean and beautiful in His sight. See, after all, we ourselves are not unlike those two retrievers, living in a muddied mess of our own existence. We are prone to track in the world's worship, even uh, the world's sin, rather even into this place of worship. But Jesus will not keep us in that muddied estate. He loves you, dear believer, far too much to let you wallow outside in the mud that we live in this world. And in his goodness, he washes us thoroughly and brings us into the place of his dwelling. Why? So that we might enjoy purified, clean fellowship with him. And so church, if you catch nothing else from this sermon this evening, I hope that you catch this, that Jesus is zealous for your purification. See, friends, this comforting truth is first on display for us here in how he cleans the, cleansed the temple in verses 13 through 17. Again, our passage tells us the following words that the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And then there in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. And I think what really got him was that the money changers were, changers were there, and they were just sitting there, taking up residency in God's holy house. Now, while we don't have time, of course, to fully unpack the greater context of the Passover and the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread that was just beginning at that time, it is most important for us here this evening to know that the Passover meal and the Passover celebration that we see here was primarily a gift from God's own righteous right hand, chiefly Jesus Christ. See, this Passover meal was, in fact, an Old Testament sacrament, a sacrament that had been long established before in Exodus 12 as a holy sign and seal of the covenant of grace. And it was instituted by God himself to both represent the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, as the true Passover lamb and all of his benefits to his people and furthermore to confirm their express interest in him as he whet their appetite in advance through the temple. This is why in time Christ Jesus would transform even the Passover meal that we read about later on in John 13 into the Lord's Supper, even as we're about to partake of this evening. So the Passover was an event that drew believers in to Jerusalem from all across the known world, and the hub of this place was the temple. The temple was set apart, of course, as we know, as a picture of God's grace, And salvation toward his people. I love the way that John Calvin, in his commentary on John 2, describes what took place there. He says essentially that this temple was set apart for the spiritual and holy ceremonies that represented God's holiness to his people. And that's key for us tonight. See, nothing foreign to the Word of God was ever to be admitted into the worship of God's people, their worship itself was meant to be holy. And so Jesus, as the true Son of God and Son of Man, came into the temple, as our text says, into the house of his Father. But friend, like me, you might be asking, well, did he have to? I mean, why did he have to go into the temple? This is a place of worship. He, he is God. Why did he have to go? Well, the answer to that is that he went in order to lead us in our own worship as the true Son of God true Israel on display in front of us. And he led us in worship even as he, here in John 2, was perfectly obeying the law of God on our behalf. Some theologians call this the act of obedience of Christ in our stead. But of course, what happened when he entered into the temple? He became furious. Righteous indignation filled his gut, if you will. And church, what did he see? What what ticked him off, so to speak? Well, he saw the love of money replacing the precious love of God. He saw evil men leeching off of those who had traveled far and wide just to just to be there and to offer God a pleasing sacrifice. Now, most of these travelers who had come in for the Passover from all around the known world had opted, unfortunately, to buy pigeons and sheep and oxen for sacrifice there in the moment. They're in the temple at Jerusalem as opposed to bringing them with them in advance, as Pastor David had alluded to earlier, as God commanded them to, even. And so the money changers took advantage of God's people as they refused to properly acknowledge the Lord's holiness and his holy day of worship. But the money changers didn't just take advantage of God's people as they were going to the temple, they, take it, they took advantage of them in the midst of their worship. See, they didn't just set up shop outside those temple walls. They dared to take the place of God inside of the temple. And to add insult to injury, they charged the people around four times the going rate of the cost of exchanging coins from around the world into the currency that they used there in the region of Tyre. Talk about inflation. Can you imagine spending four times the amount of what it cost you for a pigeon? See, their worship had become adulterated, though, in effect. And it became adulterated all for the cause of capital C, convenience. All for the cause of convenience. The worshipers had fallen prey to a den of robbers. Theirs was, in effect, even these worshipers, a slippery slope to sloppy worship. So these robbers had stolen the attention of the people away from a true heart of brokenness and contriteness and replaced it with a concern over just how many animals they could buy there in the moment in order to pay their dues to God, to try to appease him. These robbers had stolen the significance of grace and replaced grace with a focus on trying to earn God's favor. These robbers had stolen the joy of the people's salvation and exchanged that joy for dry, ritualistic, man-centered religion. And above all, these robbers sought, they failed, but they sought to steal God's glory by replacing what had been set apart for holy use there in the temple with noisy shops and stands and tables lined with coins from all around the known world within the house of God, the house of prayer, a holy place. So Jesus rightly became furious over this debacle, See, our God is a jealous God, and we see that even on display here in John 2. His jealousy that burns over us and our worship that is due him. And he will not share his glory with another, nor will he let his glory be stolen or his people, and please catch this, extorted or harassed by those who seek to steal God's glory. And so Jesus threw down the figurative gauntlet and fashioned for himself a whip of cords Just as Jesus had earlier cast that deceptive, fiery dragon Satan out of heaven along with all of his followers prior to his incarnation, he now used every necessary force to drive out evil from the house and the abode of God on earth. And so he poured out the coins, he overturned their tables, and he spoke clearly to all who heard, do not make my father's house a house of trade. Friends, what do we take away from this? It is the fact that Christ is so zealous for our purification as his people that he would go to such great length to cleanse the temple. But this is where our passage gets a lot more personal. Here in verses 18 through 22, we now see that in his zeal, implicitly speaking, Jesus would cleanse the church through his own death and resurrection, in effect. Look with me if you will at what the Jews asked of him here in verse 18 as a result of him kicking out the evil from the temple of God they said this they said this in verse 18 what sign do you show for doing these things in other words they basically were saying won't you show us a symbol of your authority to do this Now, I may or may not be speaking from personal experience here, but if you have ever happened to be pulled over by a cop uh, along one of the highways around here um, for speeding, uh, they would be required to show you what? A badge. A badge of their authority, a symbol, a sign, right? And this is essentially what the Jews were asking of Jesus. And so, in effect, Joe Israelite, if you will, said something to the effect of, Jesus, what is the basis of your authority? I mean, sure, we also want to worship God, but we don't have the power or the authority or the control to be the ones who could have driven out those people like you did. And so who gave you the right? Were you just fed up and feeling rebellious in the moment? (laughs) Or were you acting on behalf of the Lord God Almighty, the King of Heaven himself? How did Jesus answer them? I love his response. He didn't preach at them, but he did prophesy. He prophesied. See, he purposefully guised his spiritual and magisterial authority in the most profound and simple way. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Talk about authority. Well, then, of course, the people who asked this question, though maybe in earnestness before, we're now provoked by these words, and they essentially retorted, well, who do you think you are? It took us 46 years just to build this temple in the first place. Friends, sadly, the Jews had missed the entire point of what Jesus did there at the temple. See, he was speaking, as the text even tells us, about the temple of his own body. For he himself is the glory of God in the flesh, the dwelling place of God with man, the Lamb of God, who is himself the true and better temple. And he refused to allow this picture of himself there under the Old Covenant, prefigured there in the earthly temple, to become tainted by any degree of sin and vileness and muddiness, if you will. The writer of Hebrews tells us this in regard to Jesus and his body as a temple. It says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, and these are Jesus' words here in advance, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. See, Jesus didn't need to assume any authority. It was already his. We can take comfort in that. I love the way that the late Presbyterian pastor, one of my greatest heroes of the faith, Jagerson Grissom Machen, put it, in his uh, commentaries, if you will, on Jesus' miracles and his authority, he said this very tweetable phrase that Jesus claimed the right to legislate for the kingdom of God. He already had it. That's why he claimed it. He is our true prophet, our true priest, our true king, and he would prove his divine authority in both his unjust death and bodily resurrection in due time. And so as true prophet, he dictates God's truth to us. As true priest, he cleanses us, God's people. And as true king, he rules over us with righteousness, even righteous fury where it demands it. But in his mercy, he has gone to the most extreme of all measures just to purify us, you and me, his people, the church. See, just as Moses was consumed, eaten up with the worship of God upon returning from Mount Sinai, that he ended up tearing down that golden calf that was before him as Israel's worship was adulterated. And he instated God's law in its place for the good of the people and their protection of their worship. So, Jesus, as the better Moses and the author of grace, does not want his church to become enslaved or captivated by even a hint of false worship. This is why I believe here at Redeemer we sing God's own songs as we've done even this evening, all from the Psalms even. We sing these God's words to him to his listening ears every single Sunday because he desires it of us. It is why we are so careful in our worship to keep it holy so that we do not conform the content of our worship to the passing fads or whims or desires of the culture around us. It is why we treasure here a Redeemer the gospel of Christ and him crucified and do not replace this gospel message with any kind of ideology of self-help or politically driven speeches or entertaining light shows, if you will, as so many churches sadly do nowadays. It is why, in the positive, we lift up each other in fervent prayer, as we've done this evening as well, and we pray with earnestness for God to answer our prayers and for his glory to be made known to us in this our midst. And it is why we openly...